This is Celtic Connections with Cathy Sinnott. Celtic Connections, the show with the Catholic view of what's happening right now in Great Britain, in Ireland and across Europe. Celtic Connections with Cathy Sinnott. Broadcasting from Ireland. Hello and welcome to Celtic Connections. I'm Kathy Sinnott, and today I'm coming to you from Manassas, Virginia, a long way from Cork in Ireland. But I'm over in America for my dad's 95th birthday. Dad, say hello to everybody. Hello, everybody. <laughs> great. That's wonderful. We had a great birthday. But before I was came to Virginia for uh, the birthday, the great birthday, I was at two graduations, one in Ave Maria in Florida, where my daughter was graduating, and the second graduation was in Thomas Aquinas College in Santa Paula, California. And, you know, today, my guest right here in Virginia is my brother, who's academic dean of Thomas Aquinas, who came back to Virginia with me. And I wanted to talk to him about Thomas Aquinas College, because this college, and, and some of you will know this college, maybe many of you will know this college, but it really was a groundbreaking, is a groundbreaking, continues to be a groundbreaker in Catholic education. And I wanted to talk to Brian Kelly, academic dean, about that and kind of draw some lessons for us on our side of the Atlantic in Ireland and in the UK. But I want to start with this question, Brian. I'm looking at the graduation booklet that we were given, this beautiful, beautifully presented book, and I'm looking at the past recipients of the St. Thomas Aquinas Medallion, and it's a who's who of, <laughs> of the greats, the great sons and daughters of the Catholic Church. That is quite a list. I, I feel very honored to have those names associated with Thomas Aquinas College. Uh, going back to the very earliest days, we've got Charlie Rice, who was a major influence in the pro-life movement in America, mm -hmm. who always had a great love for Ireland and traveled there many times. Uh, Mother Teresa should be on that list. Father she John is. Harden. A servant of God. A servant Father of John God. Harden. That's right. Um, and more recently, we've had visits from Cardinal Burke, Cardinal Lorenze, this year it was Archbishop Cordelion from San Francisco. We were very honored to have him. The Lionhearted. The Lionhearted. Uh, Cardinal Pell was on that, that list, and I have to tell you just a little story about that. He came to visit us in May, the year that Australia was hosting World Youth Day. So this was right in the middle of uh, just a whirlwind of details and logistics. Um, but he took the time to travel around the globe to come and visit us. And uh, frankly, I had to take that as a, a big stamp of approval from somebody uh, in a very important position and somebody for whom I had a lot of respect. That's right. And I'll just say a few other names here. There's Cardinal Ulet, who is in charge of the Congregation for Bishops. Um, and, and I see some of my personal favorites, like Dr. Herbert Ratner. They oh, yes. call him the grandfather of pro-life in America. Yes. Uh, Henry Hyde. Think of all the thousands, if not millions, of babies that were saved by Henry Hyde's amendment, 
which had an association to my own dad as well, to our dad. And, and just so many other names, you know, we could, we want to get to talk about Thomas Aquinas, but, you know, these have been your graduation speakers, people, who, as you say, who have traveled around the globe to the West Coast of America. So what is it about Thomas Aquinas? How did it start? What has it done? And, and what is it that you've, what, what chord have you touched? Well, there's a lot to be said. Uh, you used the word groundbreaking earlier, and I have to say I think there's something very apt about that word. Uh, Thomas Aquinas College was founded by a small group of uh, laymen um, in the late 60s at a time when Catholic liberal education was falling apart. So early 70s, is it? Well, the, the effort really started in the late 60s. Sure. It incorporated as a... Um, a corporation in the late 60s, but it opened its doors to students in 1971. But it was it was manifest to those who took Catholic liberal education seriously that something was not right. And frankly, it was it was groundbreaking what they did because they they started a small Catholic college just de novo. And that was the sort of thing that just didn't happen at that time. They opened their doors at a time when it was unthinkable uh, to start a small Catholics college from scratch. And you can see the fruits of this effort in a host of other small, faithful, Orthodox Catholic colleges like Christendom College, like Ave Maria, like Wyoming Catholic, and a fairly new effort in Ireland called Newman College, which, That's right. Kathy, I understand you have your finger in, uh, <laughs> right. and I wish the best to. I'm very inspired by Thomas Aquinas. Thomas Aquinas say. College. But... Um, Thomas Aquinas College is an institution that takes education very seriously, and it takes the Catholic faith very seriously. We understand that there is finally no conflict between faith and reason, uh, that Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life, and that every serious education is ultimately aiming at learning something about Him and embracing Him in some way. And so at the college, um, Unlike most Catholic colleges and institutions in the late 60s, uh, we don't fear the authority of the Church. We embrace the authority of the Church. We think that is a very important guide uh, towards reaching the truth with some certitude. So, we define our education around the teaching Church. We embrace the magisterium, and we aim to share with our students uh, the foundations of Catholic wisdom. And I think, um, I think for some of these names that you've mentioned, that was like water in the desert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a pretty bleak time, the 60s and 70s, yeah. It looked like Catholic education would soon go out of existence or be completely unrecognizable. Um, what the founders did before they actually opened their doors, they, they took stock. Uh, they met together, they wrote a document uh, proclaiming what their vision of Catholic liberal education was. And that's been really helpful through the years to have uh, the document called a proposal for the fulfillment of Catholic liberal education as kind of a guiding document. And um, so we have a shared vision, and we've been operating on that uh, for 45 years now. Yeah. So what is that vision, Brian? Well, what's most fundamental is that Education is aimed at the truth, 
the truth is most securely found uh, under the guidance of uh, the Catholic Church, and so the education embraces um, the magisterium, embraces the guidance of the ages. Um, it's also very important to recognize that students learn best when they're involved in their own education. So we proceed in a method that invites the students to be very active in the classroom. We proceed by way of class discussion. So uh, every class consists of about 15 to 20 students with one teacher. Um, it's an hour to two hours, and it begins with a question and the students themselves have to jump in and take ownership of the discussion and make sure that it gets somewhere. The tutor is there to guide it, uh, to make sure that it's uh, going in a fruitful direction. But you might say, students sitting around talking, why wouldn't that be a waste of time most of the time? <laughs> Can't they do that any time? Can't they do Don't that in a coffee that shop, that sort of thing? Or on a smartphone. And that's a great question. Um, to make sure that we're getting somewhere serious, um, we accept guidance from the greatest minds that uh, have been known in the history of mankind. That's why we're a great books college. So every discussion takes place uh, under the guidance of some great text uh, that we've read in common. So, for example, the very first meeting freshman year is about the first four books of Homer's Iliad. And the question might be, what is this book about? And in the opening lines, you find out it's about the anger of this great character, Achilles. And pretty soon they're off and running, and, and great discussions follow. Um, but it is it bears fruit. And we see that in our alumni who go on to be faithful Catholics, who go on to have fruitful marriages, and in a very high percentage of our alumni who go on to take uh, the religious life very seriously. We have, uh, I think it's 10% of our graduates are ordained priests. And at this time in the church, that's a great blessing to have an institution that fosters vocations. Yes, and very solid vocations. That's right, and and not just in one kind of order. We've got uh, we've got monks, we've got very active uh, diocesan priests, and um, we have a, a number of religious sisters. So, uh, great vocations, wonderful vocations. We're very happy when they come back to visit their college. Um, but yes, a lot of lot of great priests out there because of this. I'm talking to Dr. Brian Kelly. Academic Dean of Thomas Aquinas College in Santa Paula, California. And we're talking about robust Catholic education. Brian, you talk about the students reading the text of the greatest minds and, and you know, starting with the question and discussing what they've written. Who are those great minds? I mean, are, are there any that are particularly important or that you feel any educated person should read? That's a great question. There, there are a good number of really great authors through the history of Western civilization uh, in a lot of different fields. So I mentioned Homer. I might mention Shakespeare, Cervantes. The list goes on in the field of literature. Um, in the field of uh, Political philosophy, for example, you have to read Machiavelli. He's not a good guy, he's a bad guy, but you've got to read him. Uh, Rousseau, Locke, Hobbes. 
But also, uh, going back a little ways, you have to read Plato, and you have to read Aristotle. In the world of philosophy, those two are maybe the principal ones you have to read. And in the world of uh, theology, uh, for the Catholic Church and for the world, I think you have to read St. Augustine, you have to read John Damascene, you have to read St. Athanasius, and most of all, I think you have to read St. Thomas Aquinas. And it's no accident that we took him as our special patron and put him in the name of our college. He is the common and universal doctor. He's known as the angelic doctor. And John Paul II even called him the doctor of humanity, which I thought was a particularly apt title. And he is a, a wonderful saint for our times. But he was gifted with a remarkable intellect with remarkable formation. He was a very early Dominican, but also with a remarkable humility and sanctity. And he begged God to illumine his intellect and to help him understand the words of sacred scripture and to help him understand the difficult intellectual problems that came to him. And, and really, I mean, I don't know as much about him as you do, but I remember something that very much impressed me is he asked for these gifts for the church, that he could give whatever service to the church. He did. He submitted all of his gifts, all of his abilities to the church. And after writing maybe the most remarkable literary output of any man in the history of the world, as he was dying, he, he did indicate that what he wrote seemed to him as so much straw he did not take remarkable pride in it. And at the very end, he submitted all of his writings to the correction of the church. So he was anxious right to the end to show the proper ordination of the intellect as submitted to the teaching office of the church. Uh, so he's a great, great example for our days. And in another little way, I'd like to single him out too. Um, he was known for his purity. Uh, when he was young, he joined the Dominican order much against the wishes of his family, and they kidnapped him to try to convince him to abandon his, uh, his habit and to abandon his confers. They imprisoned him for quite a while because he refused to give in. And finally, uh, well, they saw they weren't going to persuade him with lighter arguments, uh, so they sent a prostitute into the room in order to seduce him. He responded by leaping up, grabbing a flaming brand out of the fire, and chasing <laughs> her out of the room. And he, he made a symbol of the cross uh, on the wall with the burning torch, and he collapsed. And he dreamed of two angels uh, wrapping him in a cord and promising him that they would be with him to assist him for the rest of his life. And he said that he was never tempted to impurity after that. And there's help that comes out of this story uh, for all of us through his intercession. Uh, and I encourage anybody who hears this to think about joining the Angelic Warfare Confraternity run by the Dominicans. And it's a simple confraternity uh, where you agree to say some very easy to say prayers on a daily basis in which you're praying for everybody else in the confraternity. So there's a big benefit to joining. You get the prayers of everybody else involved. Uh, but in the world today... I think it's so important uh, to recognize the value of purity and to pursue it uh, with single-mindedness. And for those who want to be educated, 
I think it's really important to understand that the mind isn't free when the passions are slaves. So, Well, you know, that's interesting you're saying that. Of course, we instantly think of the Beatitude, the pure in heart will see God. Mm -hmm. But also um, in Newman College this year, uh, our philosophy teacher is a third order Dominican, and he introduced the students the student body to angelic warfare. And certainly for the much of the second semester, they had started to gather in the chapel every day at one o'clock to do the prayers of the angelic warfare. So uh, just a wonderful devotion. But again, a devotion so needed today because we have the words of Our Lady of Fatima that it is the principal sin, sins against chastity, that are sending people to hell. And we have also the words of Our Lady 400 years before, or sorry, 300 years before, in uh, Ecuador, in Quito, where she characterizes this time, and again, this is an approved apparition, but she characterizes this time as a time of unprecedented impurity. I I think this is a time uh, in which we are subjected to assaults on all fronts. And certainly, uh, we're very vulnerable when it comes to to the flesh. And so I'm very excited to hear that the students at Newman College are doing that. I encourage you to foster that in them in an ongoing way. Um, And really, uh, although the assaults are happening on all different levels, we all have to work together (laughs) on all fronts. So uh, you have to have your house in order morally and spiritually and intellectually. And so I think, um, I, I think, although um, the one builds on the other, uh, we need solid moral formation. We need solid spiritual formation, and we need very careful, rigorous thinking. This isn't a time when we can afford to have fuzzy thinking. We need to present the truth in a clear way, understand things in principle, and be very clear with ourselves and others what the foundation of our faith is. I'm talking to Dr. Brian Kelly, the academic dean of Thomas Aquinas College, and we're talking about robust Catholic education. Brian, it's very interesting that you're talking about the need, you know, the challenge of today and the real need for for very intensive or very deep formation. Because what so many students and parents will tell you when you kind of present a liberal arts or a liberal education is, but what job are you going to do? You know, this is always like, but what are you going to do? And, and yet, from my way of thinking, that's, that's almost in itself is the answer to why a liberal arts or a liberal education is so important. Can you maybe talk around about that? Because it's something people, we're, we're so skilled trained that it's, it's hard for people to get their head around why this education is so important? That's a great question, and it's one that we hear frequently because we are very explicit that we're not job training. We're not looking principally to form them for jobs. We're principally trying to form young men and women for life. Uh, and to be educated and to be free from the slavery of sin. And for and everlasting life. For everlasting life, that's right. But it just so happens that if you prepare people for life, they go on to have very productive careers. Uh, we look to the alumni that we've produced. We see very capable doctors, attorneys, 
government workers, et cetera, et cetera, businessmen, the list goes on. Um, and so I think I can understand why people are concerned about that. But I think if you want to be able to uh, succeed in various fields, it is important to have specialized knowledge in some cases, but unless you can be a problem solver, unless you can think critically about the difficulties that are going to come up, that sort of specialized preparation won't really put you in a situation where you can handle life. That's right. Or or a changing work market. You know, sometimes you get such a specialized formation in school, skills-based that when that skill no longer becomes very important or becomes obsolete altogether, you may not have the flexibility that a much broader education that has taught you to learn. That's very true. I I think there have been studies done that show that a high number of those who have focused in one area of studies go on to work in a completely different field of endeavor. And so uh, it's sometimes a misguided thing to try to pick too quickly and to shape yourself according to specialized knowledge before you're really prepared for that and before you have a good sense of what you're going to do in life. And so I I think there's a remarkable value in liberal education, and especially liberal Catholic education. Uh, And I think a lot of employers in the business workplace in America at least have said, what we're looking for principally are people who can communicate, people who can discuss, people who can think critically and problem solve. With regard to the specialized information they need, maybe we'll give that to them once we hire them. (laughs) That's right. But we really want to know that we're forming somebody who's going to be able to help run the company. Yeah. You know, I was interviewing um, uh, a lawyer, Michael Sullivan, on this program about six months ago, and he had in earlier in his career been in charge of hiring for a big law firm. And he said, you know, his saying was, hire for character, we'll train you. You know, hire for character, right. not for skill, because they're going to have the skill they want them to have in, right. within, you know, in-house. Um, but Brian, maybe we could even go back and just make sure that people understand. I want to ask you to explain what a liberal education is or what a liberal arts education. I know there's a fine, you know, one is encased in the other, but they're not exactly the same thing. But it's very important for us because in in the UK, we had the beatification of blessed John Henry Newman. And a lot of people hear this name, Newman, 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 but they don't really understand what what he's about, certainly in the field of education. Um, and and certainly he, in modern times, was probably the one that laid out or tried to reintroduce this form of education. Yeah, uh, John Henry Newman is a great intellect, and we actually read him in the program. I thought you might like to know that. Yes. Um, development of Christian Doctrine is read in our senior year. Uh, And I think, uh, though I'm not a Newman expert, I think he experienced at Oxford just how helpful it was to really train your mind by reading great books, by thinking carefully about things from principle, by understanding the world not in a particular specialized way, but in a very general way. And, And 
the word liberal has confusing connotations in America where it has a political meaning. It means, you know, liberal means pro-abortion. It means, I mean, that tends to be what's associated with. Yeah, we have had people tell us that they would never be interested in coming to Thomas Aquinas College because it's a liberal college. (laughs) Um, But in fact, liberal in its classical meaning just means freeing. And this is an education that is meant to free you from the slavery of ignorance. And, you know, how, how do you do that? Do you do it by learning facts and figures? Well, maybe not. Maybe you have to answer the questions that are most fundamental in the life of man. Is there a God, first of all? If there is, does he care about us? Does he care about how we behave? Does he love us? And also, uh, what is the meaning of life? And is there a soul? If there's a soul, does it live on after death? How do we know things? Can we know things? These are all very deep questions that finally we can't help but ask. Anybody can't help but ask those. But it is true, sadly, that a lot of people don't make much progress in answering those questions. So by taking on these questions in a constructive way, in a way that's guided by the wisdom of the church, I think ultimately we help people to live full and fruitful lives and lives in which they understand where they fall in the pecking order, uh, how they should approach God. And frankly, that's the way to happiness. I'm talking to Dr. Brian Kelly, academic dean of Thomas Aquinas College of Santa Paula, California, and formerly of Dr. Brian Kelly is of Ireland. Mm -hmm. Brian, Let's take you back to your days in Ireland. You know, was there anything in Ireland? I mean, what about your past prepared you for Thomas Aquinas, but also made this such part of your life because you went to college there, then went away for graduate school, but then came back and it's been your life work since. Thank you, Kathy. That's a great question. I've spent the greater part of my life involved in Catholic higher education, But I have to say, um, that's not to the denigration of the lower levels of education. Uh, When I think back to my years in Ireland, in Enniskeen County, Cork, in the mid to late 1970s, I have to say they were some of the most formative years of my life, and especially uh, with regard to the education that I received. I remember when I first went to school at Enniskeen School and went into the classroom of Master O'Sullivan, Um, It was a little bit daunting. It was very cold. There was no central heating. There were eight class levels in three rooms, and so I was in with two other class levels. Master O'Sullivan uh, was a very serious, very good, very intelligent, very charismatic teacher, and he showed us by his activity, by his behavior, by his teaching, that he really cared about us, and he cared about the truth, and he cared about the church. He gave us excellent example. Uh, He was a pioneer. He did not denigrate alcohol. He said it's important as a pioneer that I not do that. Uh, But he spoke charitably about everybody, and he really was a great teacher. So um, I'd like to just honor him, uh, tell him if he's listening that he's the best teacher I ever had, and I owe a lot of what has come. Uh, to his formation. I was in his class for two and a half years, and those were some of the best years of my life. Wonderful. And he was a great historian as well, or is a great historian. Uh, I have to say, he brought history to life. 
because there were three different class levels in the one room, you would sometimes separate uh, for different subjects. But when it, came, when it came time for history, he would call us all forward and we would squeeze forward and he would tell us about the history of Ireland from the very beginning until the 20th century. And he, he did it with such a lively sense of the goodness of Ireland and the goodness of the church and the marriage between Ireland and the church. And, you know, I have to say, I've, I, I fell in love with Ireland even more on listening to him. And I've always loved Ireland since then and prayed to St. Patrick to guide her uh, to a happy home in heaven. Well, you know, Brian, I, I don't think we could end on any better note. Keep praying for Ireland. I'd ask anyone listening to keep praying for Ireland and the UK, for Thomas Aquinas College, and of course, can we say for Newman College, Ireland as well? Certainly, for Newman College. Thank you, Brian. God bless. God bless, Kathy. You're listening to Celtic Connections with Kathy Simmons. Celtic Connections is the only show made in the UK or Ireland with the Catholic view of what's happening in Great Britain, Ireland and across Europe. Stay tuned for more Celtic Connections with Cathy Sinnott. New Dawn is the largest Catholic conference in Britain and it takes place every August at Our Lady Shrine in Walsingham in England. And in this season of Pentecost, we have a message that reminds us of the importance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Sister Deborah DeRosa is a lay sister from the Eternal Light community, and she comes all the way from Trinidad and Tobago. And Sister was a keynote speaker at New Dawn. So here's Sister talking to Paul Macquarie in Walsingham about our need for a renewed presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives and our need for an active prayer life. Mary was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. But even Mary was in the upper room at Pentecost. And I'm sure that throughout her life to bear her sufferings and all that she had to bear, she needed an ongoing touch of the power of God. We look at the life of Jesus. Jesus was forever at prayer. Early in the morning, we are told in the Mark and Gospels, long before dawn, Jesus will awake and he will go to the Father in quiet time. And what would be happening there? Communion with the Father. But I'm sure because they are inseparable, the Spirit of God was always there to anoint him for his daily task. So yes, Paul, it is important for me. It is important for all of us. We pray, and I have prayed from my earliest years, come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of the faithful, enkindling us the fire of your love. And I don't think it's a sterile prayer. I don't think it's a prayer that God does not want to answer. I think every day that we pray it, God responds. Our awareness that that power is there, that God is there wanting to work, is what is quickened through the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Do you think, Sister, that sometimes, you know, as Catholics, we, we pray the, the Holy Spirit prayer, but we do it in kind of rote you know, and then we move on to the next thing kind of thing. But is what you're saying is that we need to to say, come Holy Spirit, and say that, and say that with faith, and say that with our poverty, perhaps, that we know mm -hmm. that we need that. That's right. And maybe sometimes we're ignorant, we don't think we need it. Mm -hmm. Oh, we're doing this, and we're doing that, and we're on our way to heaven, and, you know, we try to be mm -hmm. nice. 
Is, is that something? That is also very true, what you have said. We have not um, been a people to pray with expectation. We have been the people who are accustomed to pray because we have learned prayers. We have been given prayers to say at particular times. But it's a new time. And with the new time has been come, has come new awareness, new learning. And now even those of us who would hear what's happening, it brings us into a new consciousness. Yes, I must pray with faith. I must pray believing. I must pray expecting. I must pray knowing that God wants to answer every prayer that I make. And sister, you had quite a message last night, uh, to the, which was the final message really for the, before the Mass today. So what was, what was in your message for the pilgrims here who've just come to New Dawn? What else was in your message? Well, in my message, I felt that we needed to take a look at our heritage. We needed to look and see that coming down the line, even from the book of Genesis, the Spirit of God was present. For new things to begin, the Spirit of God is always there. And as we made the journey through, I wanted people to appreciate the fact that Mary's conception, Jesus coming into the world, was an action again of the Father and the Holy Spirit, the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. I wanted them to see that in Jesus' succession planning, he allowed the apostles to experience that anointing. And not only were the twelve who were with him, minus Judas, and then the one who was elected to replace Judas, but that Paul, who had been outside of all of this, that he too, in spite of his life, though he was a committed Jew and Pharisee and learned man, that God used him. And as we came right down through to the Good Samaritan, we looked at Stephen, we looked at Philip, and we saw how the gifts of the Spirit were operative in their lives. And even through persecution, the Spirit of God was present so that the martyrdom of Stephen brought Paul, who was then called Saul, in, that people would understand that the Samaritan woman, whose life may have seemed aimless and maybe even useless, weak, that God had a plan for her. And if there has to be a revival in our villages, if there must be a revival within our churches, we must be disposed to say to God, give me some water to drink. Beautiful, yeah. Give me some water to drink. I'm talking to Sister Deborah DeRosa from Trinidad and Tobago, from the Eternal Life community, a lay Catholic community in Trinidad Tobago. And we're talking about Sister's message, which was to plug into the Holy Spirit, to mean what we say when we say, come Holy Spirit. Well, Sister Miles Dempsey talks about uh, Walsingham here and New Dawn being here. And Walsingham, and, he, and he's quoting the Pope Leo XIII, about the significance of Walsingham and Our Lady coming back to England. And he's quoting the saints, and he's quoting Paul of the Cross and the Curie of Ars and, and Our Lady of La Salette and all of this about the renewal of Britain. So a consequence, if that's going to happen, we're going to, we can't do that. At all. We need the Holy Spirit. We do. And we need to, would you say then that we need to rise to that word, I think, very significant word at the end, that to bring fire on the on the earth, and we're just weak people, sister, as you can see us British and Irish people here and others, 
And, you know, we have our little mortgages in our homes and we come to these, you know, wonderful gatherings of new dawn. And God wants to use us to do that. Is of that right? Of course, of course, of course. You know, when I started to prepare my talk, there was a song I wanted to sing. And I said, I can't teach these people because our beats are different. And your beats are different. Our beats are di- our music <laughs> beats, beats but are your different. Music beats, yeah. Yes. Well, I think yours are a bit more cooler than ours, but that's another story. <laughs> you know, I, I wanted to sing this song. When God starts a fire, He needs no matches, and that fire is started in the Holy Spirit. And when that fire catches, He brings in the other embers, which would be other people, yeah. to make the fire blaze. So yes. We have mortgages, we have all kinds of responsibilities, but we belong to God. And so every one of us must realize that our vocation, our call, must be a part of our everyday living. That wherever we are, there is the message of Jesus, the message of the kingdom that we can bring. Oftentimes we live in a disconnect so that we work and our church life, our God life, might be our private prayer time or our Sunday gathering with the community or not at all. But we need to appreciate that we are one. We have one life and that one life has to be lived in Christ Jesus. And so wherever I am, I can impact individuals, I can impact systems, and I can bring about revival and renewal. Because it's not only about spiritual renewal of the individual. When the individual is renewed, yes, then systems are renewed. Changes take place in policies that would affect the good, the good of the poor, the good of the broken, the good of all of humanity. Sure, sure. So um, for us to have that effect, uh, as we're leaving uh, New Dawn and we go home. Could you give us some pointers so that we don't just go home and, you know, oh, well, remember, oh, that was fine and that was good. And Are there th- particular pointers that you would give us to help us to enter into that, to be part of that fire that's going to make okay. the difference? A few things I would say. One, let's look at our own personal prayer life. Very good. Do we have time? Five minutes, ten minutes a day, without distraction, just to be available to God, to be present to God. That little ejaculation, secondly, come Holy Spirit, come. If you want to add, come with your fire, feel free to add it. Thirdly, I would like to say to people, I do a lot of Eucharistic adoration. And if you go before God, God is going to be present to you. And where God is present, he makes known his will and his plan, and he makes it possible. Fourthly, I would like to say, let's begin to talk. Because people may be having a desire, people may be wanting to do things, but nobody hears anybody expressing it. But when you begin to talk to others, then two and three persons may want to come together and your ideas, your prayer time together, your intercession can move you into action. And as Catholics, we have priests who may be interested. And if they are not interested, we begin to pray that their own hearts and minds will be opened up to welcome the move of God. Sure. So, um, Sister, you, you mentioned several elements there. 
And you talked about prayer in the five or ten minutes, you know, which is if we're struggling with prayer, that's a good place to start. And then you mentioned uh, Eucharistic adoration. And I remember Fulton Sheen, a lot of the young people here at Youth 2000, would, would take on that mantle of Fulton Sheen, who, who said he did a holy hour every day, you know. Would you think, so what do we need to aim to get to as we start to climb that mountain of prayer that, uh, that, that you would recommend for the Catholic who's going to make that difference of, of evangelization? Okay. How, what would I recommend? Scriptural prayer. So you begin with 10 minutes. You may have 10 minutes of quiet time. But then we can always select a scripture, be it a psalm. Now, the church is rich in that she gives to us what is called the office of readings. But that too can become wrote and just be said. We are talking here about selecting a scripture, whether it is the readings of the month, if it's Mark's gospel being read, Luke's gospel, and taking a piece of it Readings day. from the, the Mass. That's right. And incorporating that into your prayer so that your prayer is fueled by the Word of God and definitely will grow from 10 minutes to 15 to 20 and then the Spirit of God leads you. You begin to see the world through the Word and you realize, but I can't just sit here and pray and allow the Word to reflect me. I live in a world that I need to bring before God. And so our work of evangelization will begin even as we bring our world with all its pains and its joys, its sufferings, its difficulties to God in those times. Be- beautiful, sister. And could you, could you maybe recount for us some of the elements that should be incorporated into that prayer? You've talked about the Word of God, and we talk about intercession. We talk about silence and waiting on the... On. So right. the elements like that, could you talk about, a little bit about that? Okay. Now, when I talk about silence, there are noises that are within us. I'm not just talking about external noises. And one will grow into the place whereby even the noises inside, the distractions that are inside, would become silent. And that's one of the helps for the Eucharistic adoration. Because you're in Because you are there, but also because you can gaze on him. And because your eyes can be fixed on him, you can raise your mind and your heart up. So that that is a help. Now, I'm aware that not everybody can get to Eucharistic adoration. And so, even in your houses, wherever it is, that short span of time, if you can ask even before you start to pray, Holy Spirit, help me to be present to the Father and the Son. Help me to be present and just trust God. And if a distraction arises, don't try to push it out of your mind because pushing it out will take the 10 minutes. <laughs> Offer it to God. Offer it up. So make a little prayer, commit it to God, and wait again quietly. Turn the distraction into a little intercession. That's prayer. right. That's right. So that's one of the things that can help you. In terms of the scripture reading and the intercession, God may lay upon your heart a specific thing that he would like you to pray for. Some people may be called to pray for the entire world. Some people may be called to pray for the conflict that exists between the Muslims and the Christians. 
Some people may be asked to pray simply for family life. So that may be your call for a period of time. God can change it. Stick with whatever God asks of you. If it's family life, you pray for single parents, you pray for husbands and wives, you pray for children. We know the challenges of family. We know the financial difficulties. We know what families go through. So we ask God and we take time just bringing family life. One of the things I did when I started to intercede was after my intercession to spend time just open the scriptures and oftentimes the opening of the scripture, the word of God, will confirm or give guidance and direction as to where my prayer went and how God has been responding to that prayer. Yeah, beautiful sister, beautiful. Um, and then as we're doing that and growing in that, obviously that takes sometimes, you know, the devil will try to frustrate us in that and give us every distraction and reason why not to go and take mm -hmm. time to pray before the Blessed Sacrament or at home. So we need to be aware of that too, don't we? That's right. It's not easy necessarily. That's not necessarily, but, you know, discipline mm -hmm. is important. We have to get to work for a certain time and we try to get there. Otherwise, we will get letters, disciplinary letters. And a while, after a while, we may be out of a job. <laughs> so we do what is necessary. God leaves us with free will. And he leaves us with the ability to plan. We awake in the morning. There are certain habits that we have formed. And so there are also spiritual habits that we must form. There are times that I don't want to get up. But I am awakened. And I've grown in the years into the discipline that when God wakes me, I would respond. I don't want to go to the Blessed Sacrament every day at 5 o'clock. But I have come to that place whereby at 5 to 5, I am heading downstairs to our chapel. So it takes time. No one says to anyone that you must rush into this, yeah. but gradually and ask God to help with good habit formation. Yeah, be beautiful sister. And then obviously engaging in the sacraments, you know, going to Mass and uh, particularly the Sacrament of Reconciliation. Because as we're starting in the spiritual life, and maybe our, our life is a, a series of starting in the, in the spiritual life, then would you, encourage, would you encourage us to be mindful of that too, wouldn't you, sister? For every Catholic, certainly. Every, every Catholic and every denomination, I guess, where there are services. For myself, the practice of daily Eucharist is, has been very important. Ever since yeah. I've been three and a half years old, I have known what it is for my parents to tug me along with them to Mass. Your parents were daily communicants. Yes. Yeah. And I have kept that habit. Beautiful. So that each day I go. So I would say to people, yes, the sacraments keep you alive. I am the bread of life. I am the word. I am the light of the world. Jesus is our, the one we encounter in the table of the word and the Eucharist. I'm talking to Sister Deborah DeRosa from Trinidad and Tobago, from the Eternal Life community, a lay Catholic community in Trinidad and Tobago. And we're talking about Sister's message, which was to plug into the Holy Spirit, to mean what we say when we say, Come Holy Spirit. Well, sister, the other thing, just coming to the end here, and and I don't want to miss anything out of your message if this, you know, if there's more you want to say. But the, what the other thing you said about brothers and sisters, 
And I often think when our Lord says, love one another, well, there has to be the other there to love. <laughs> so he wanted us to, to be with brothers and sisters of like mind and heart, you know, because we're weak too. So how do we find that? Maybe listeners who, are, who maybe want to enter a fellowship with others, and maybe they're mass-going Catholics, but there's a certain distance or whatever it is. How can we find like-minded brothers and sisters who also desire to grow in the Holy Spirit, be plugged into the Holy Spirit? Well, I found those in the Catholic Charismatic Renewal. So that's the first thing I would obviously recommend. But there may be other things around. You have the things like Focolare, Curcio, and many other groups in the church that are there already existing where there are people who are open to the Holy Spirit. And therefore, it is for one to explore. It is for one maybe to talk to your priest. Is there any such group that exists? And if that isn't happening, offer yourself to God and say to God, listen, there may be others like me who are looking for fellowship, looking for support, would like to help one another. Lead me to them and lead them to me and see what God will do. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, a, and, and a prayer like that from the heart, sister, you know, for, for any of us who are looking for brothers and sisters, because we want to be closer to him, right. will surely be answered. <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Well, sister, um, was there anything else that you left us with at the end of your talk, just as we as we finish here, for our listeners to, to edify us, encourage us, or challenge us? I would like to see us as Catholics really take up the mantle and realize that we are a people on mission that we have a call, the mandate that God gave not only to priests and to religious, is that we must go into the world, that we must teach. It's not to be left to a certain group. To teach, we need to edify ourselves. We need to learn ourselves, and we need to give away what we have, because not everybody can learn all that there is to be learned, but what we have, we can give. It's one poor man telling another poor man where he or she has found food. And so I would like to say to people, start where you are. We are on mission together. God needs us. God is depending on us. The church needs us. We are living in an era where a lot of our young people are disenchanted, disillusioned, and it is for us to offer them again Jesus, because the gift of faith is what is going to sustain our young people throughout all of their lives. So be encouraged. God is able to do it for everyone. Amen. And maybe be challenged too, sister, because if we're going to see the renewal of this country, of Britain, as as Miles Dempsey has told us that this place in Walsingham and everything should be occasion of, that ain't going to happen unless we listen to God and be part of that fire That's right. of wanting to share the gospel. You're right, Paul. Let the fire fall. Amen. <laughs> that was Sister Deborah DeRosa, a lay sister from the Eternal Light community in Trinidad and Tobago. And I leave you now with a song about receiving the Holy Spirit, written by Belfast singer-songwriter Paul Kyle. And this song is called, Where Can I Go?
listening to Celtic Connections with Cathy Simmons. Join Cathy Sinnott next time for more Celtic Connections.